Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode of Reach is brought to you by our sponsor, Jackie, another secret weapon that executive assistants and women who do it all need to know about. You guys all know that feeling, right? Staring at your closet and thinking to yourself, I have so many clothes and yet nothing to wear. That is why Jackie is here. Jackie is a high-end boutique subscription styling service that you apply to join. What I love about Jackie is you get to develop a relationship with your stylist. Your stylist is someone you can text or call or email with specific wardrobe needs or ideas you have. Or maybe there's an upcoming event or trip or meeting or even a wedding that your ex is going to be at that you really, really, really want to look fantastic for. Those are exactly the types of scenarios a Jackie subscription can help with. Each box from Jackie is filled with high quality clothing and accessories. Jackie is here to help all of us embrace our style and our confidence. This is subscription styling done right for the women who do it all. So apply to join Jackie and fall in love with your style this year. Visit shopjackie.com to apply to join and be sure to tell your stylist Maven sent you with code MAVEN20 for 20% off all the items kept in your first box. Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. I am your host, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group, and today I am joined um, virtually by our guest, Kristen Quint. Hi, Kristen. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it, especially on the tales of a, of a, a lot of life events going on for you. So thank you for making the time. Um, Kristen is the director of the office of the CEO of 23andMe. Anne Wojcicki, where she's been for four and a half years. For those who don't know or haven't already used one of their home test kits, 23andMe grants people the ability to get the full skinny on their DNA. Kristen has such an incredible and varied background from working for a baseball team, the Giants, to entertainment lifestyle at Barrett-Jackson Auction Company, to venture capital, Lightspeed Ventures, to the nonprofit realm with Kaiser Family Foundation, to now genomics and biotech at 23andMe, you've really covered all the industries and demonstrated how the value of the EA role translates across sectors. And for the purposes of today's discussion, we're really looking forward to our conversation um, about how to set up and run an office of the CEO. And uh, specifically, we're going to be understanding the distinction between what it means to support a CEO versus what it means to oversee the office of the CEO, both of which you've done during your time with 23andMe, and also thinking through and understanding when it's necessary to actually establish an office of the CEO. So I think this is going to be a really relevant conversation for a lot of our, our listeners 
Um, I also just want to add that you are a bit of a celebrity EA in the EA realm. And so it's with particular excitement and honor that we welcome you to the program today. There have been a number of guests even who've been featured on our on our podcast who have actually cited you as a mentor and someone that they really admire um, who's doing some really exciting and uh, important work in this space. So I just uh, wanted to extend an, especial, an especially excited welcome to you. Oh, no way. That's awesome. Yeah. I love well, I love mentoring other EAs and you know, I know what it's like to have to be an EA and then, you know, you're ready for something more or you can see that the, you know, the exec needs more and so I'm excited to share my knowledge of of how you can help build that out for for an exec and support support systems. That's amazing. Thank you. So to get us started, can you first tell us what your job as the director of the office of the CEO entails? And specifically, how does this role differ from what you were doing when you were supporting Anne as her CEO, um, I'm sorry, as her executive assistant? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you differentiated supporting a CEO versus overseeing the office of the CEO. And I still really think of my role as still supporting our CEO and Um, you know, I think that's the overarching theme to everything I do. It's just, you know, adding that component of having a team behind that support system. So I'll definitely, you know, touch on that. But um, before I just generally want to jump into the question, I think it's important to preface this discussion with what I found around structuring an office of a CEO. And, and I think that someone once said to me, you know, um, it's a lot like raising children, you know, they, mm-hmm. there's a lot of right ways. And I think you can relate that and different approaches work for different kids. I think different approaches work for different execs. And so what works for some might not work for others. And so you really have to kind of find your right way and, uh, and look at, you know, what's going to work best for the executive, what's going to work best for the company and what works best for you. So I think that there's a lot of trial and error. There may be starts and stops. And you just have to sort of see which which approach sticks sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your question, so so my role um, is really to help the day to day operations of the office of the CEO run as smoothly as possible. And so I act as a liaison to different teams. I coordinate our weekly executive team meetings with the leadership team. I you know set the agendas for those meetings. I will partner with various execs and directors on projects. Um, I manage special projects that come up. So, for example, when we uh, relocated our headquarters, um, you know, I helped manage that project. Or a few years ago, we did a fundraising round. So I was really the the main liaison uh, between the banks and and all those meetings and and helping keep that process flowing. Um, and then, because I support a high profile CEO, there are a million speaking opportunities and media requests that come in. And so I really partner a lot with our comms team and provide that executive comms uh, function support. Or for example, Anne today uh, gave, you know, a company overview to, we do this thing called 23andMe University for new hires. And so we brought it virtual right now because we're all working remote. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was helping her put together the deck for that. And so um, you know, different projects that come up. And of course, email is, is still huge in my role. And um, and so I, I do all that, but then I also manage the team that supports her. So um, we follow up on action items, we track the follow-up. Um, 
you know, and actually on that company overview, you know, she said, you know, reach out to Kristen or my team because they triage inf- information and know how to get it to the right person. And that's a lot of what we do. So mm-hmm. in that way, I look at us as the the glue that keeps things together and pieces it all together and, and keeps keeps the ship moving along. So um, that's a bit of what I, I do in this, you know, director role. Um, I think sometimes director roles and chief of staff are interchangeable um, and they can just vary a lot. But I really think, too, a lot of EAs are probably already playing this role, right? I think that a lot of EAs, um, you know, you have that traditional EA role where it's really easy to say, you know, they're doing calendar, but anytime you're doing a bit more, you're kind of growing into that, to that function. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um, you know, how does, how does what I do differentiate from, from the EA role? Um, I think that it's easy to say that, you know, the EA, you can look at that function and say, if you're doing calendaring and you're doing travel and expense reports and sometimes email management and other administrative tasks. And I think for me, it's just taking it one step above and, and really having that holistic view of what's everything that's going on in the company with the leadership team and in, in the overall uh, function of the office. That's a great um, illustration, I think, of, of the differences and, and just kind of the vantage points, really, um, that distinguish the roles. So you mentioned that, you know, as you said, that, that your role is still very much in support of Anne, but that now uh, you have more support um, underneath you in really helping to solidify the network of support around her. So what does that look like? Who, who else is in the picture? Yeah. So, you know, I'll be honest, we've tried a few different uh, kind of models of, of what works. And with our business, we have, you know, it's a bit, it's not your traditional business model. We kind of have complex um, structure that we have a therapeutics team that's doing, you know, true biotech work. And then, um, and then we have our consumer side of our business. It's, it's more of the tech product side. And so, We've we've set it up and kind of okay. What are our what are our needs? You know, to support Anne and and so we've had um, you know divisions of that sometimes where we've had you know someone kind of supporting the therapeutics function and being a liaison to that group. And so uh, you know we've had people that kind of almost shadow Anne in meetings to help kind of keep the information flow going, uh, and then. We have, you know, someone that is owns the calendar. That's a really critical piece of the role. And so that is something that a function that we've always had. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how we're set up now. We have, you know, an EA on the team that is doing, you know, she's responsible for calendar. I call her the sweeper. She's like getting all the details, <laughs> you know, all the time, mm-hmm. um, making sure that every day to day, we're just moving everything along. Um, and then we've also had, uh, you know, more kind of a, a research analyst on the team um, that's helpful with doing, you know, kind of background research for external meetings and then also internal meetings. Uh, and we've also had um, an events person on the team mm. that because we were owning a lot of the events, company wide events. And she actually grew into now a management role on our workplace experience team. So you know, it, it, it's varied over the past few years. Um, but you know, you kind of have to look at 
what are all the needs happening? And, and then you, you know, how can we parcel that off and just have the clear, the clear functional roles? Yep. So you had joked with us that you have this quote unquote PhD in Ann Wojcicki. Um, yes. <laughs> and, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Your words. So. Yeah. 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 I know. Well, yeah. we have a lot of PhDs at 23 right? and me. And so, you know, when you really get to know someone really well and right. spend so much time with them, it's, I, I always joke, I've got a PhD. I have a PhD too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I'm curious to know. Even with this incredible reservoir of knowledge, obviously, that you had that you had and have about Anne, at what point did it become clear to you that what was needed was a more robust infrastructure to support her and all of the different initiatives and projects that she's a part of? And I guess what were kind of the telltale signs that that you needed to implement this um, more robust framework? Yeah. I think that's a great question. I think it's that's the question I get asked most frequently kind of when I'm mentoring EAs is, is when is it time to elevate, you know, more of the office of the CEO. And for me, it was clear when I interviewed with Anne. <laughs> okay. She needed more than just one EA. Okay. And so um, that came from more of my experience at the Kaiser Family Foundation, which is where I worked previously. Mm-hmm. So I was there for 10 years. And the first five years I was an EA. And then the second five, I had become more of the director of the office of the CEO. And we had um, two EAs kind of that I managed on the team. And what I learned there is that we were all able to be cross-trained. We were able to function at a high level. And the office just ran seamlessly for the CEO. You know, we didn't miss a beat. And at the same time, we were able to have work-life balance. And so what that created was this really low turnover, Mm -hmm. which I also think contributes to consistency for CEOs because, you know, I joke, I had this one person one time say to me and another EA that I'm not going to hire anyone else on the team. I'm going to work till my fingertips are bloody. And I was like, whoa, that's intense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which works for some people, but Uh it kind of doesn't work for me. And I think that sometimes you you know, it doesn't create a consistent long-term model for the CEO because if you're constantly having turnover, you know, you're in this constant phase of just retraining people or reinventing the wheel. And so um, I think that was really important to the consistency for the CEO. And so it was a model that just worked well for everyone. And so when I was interviewing a 23andMe, I could tell by just Anne describing the role, it was way more than Mm. one person could handle. So I think you're always kind of looking at what are the needs of the exact. And for her at the time, it was, you know, the tradition, all the traditional EA kind of work you look at, like I mentioned, the the calendaring and the expense reports and travel and um, the other administrative tasks. And then she also wanted this um, kind of elevated function of being in meetings with her uh, to help track action items and follow up with people and, email management was huge for her at the time. And so I just thought that that was too much for one person because Mm -hmm. you can't physically be in meetings all day, especially when there's a high volume of meetings and then also staying on top of the calendar and and get it done in, you know, sunrise to sunset type of day. So, um, so we talked about it in, in the interview and she was open to, you know, exploring having uh, more than one person on the team. But what we decided on was that I would, I would jump into the EA role 
and really assess what mm-hmm. the needs were and learn her and, you know, build that trust and then, and then come up with a proposal. And so that's what we did. And it was about, I mean, right away, I could tell it was so much work. <laughs> so, um, so I, but I just kind of rolled up my sleeves and, and, you know, dove into it. And then uh, about a year in, I came up with a proposal for how we could structure the team and what I thought would, would work best. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's really an, an, a very important point, too, is that you know, wearing that consultancy hat is so much more powerful if you take the time to really dig in and, and assess and not just kind of, you know, make some knee jerk recommendations, but being willing to pay your dues and like actually live and breathe the challenges and the bottlenecks and all of the other things. Um, I think creates a lot more buy-in ultimately with that executive to be able to influence whatever vision you might have. Right. It, it's exactly true. You yeah. you really need to learn the person. You also need to just observe and see what are the needs here. And, you know, execs are great and great leaders, and but sometimes they can't even see where the holes are. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, really taking that time to be thoughtful about it, I think is is important. Yeah. Well, and I really like the point they made too about turnover and just being mindful of real, like being realistic with people's burnout and people's stamina. And I think one of the the reasons, at least that we've noticed that that executives, um, you know, hate turnover is all of the things you described as far as, you know, losing efficiency and losing information and all of this kind of stuff. Um, when there's only one person on a team, um, and that person holds all the keys to the castle, it it can end up feeling a little bit vulnerable, right? And it and it creates this system where you have a single point of failure, rather than having multiple people that can ultimately help sustain things. And so I think that as a as a top leader, you know, like Anne, it, it makes a lot of sense to have multiple people who all are responsible for pieces of the puzzle. And therefore, you're not as vulnerable. And um, there is redundancy. And any well-designed, well-engineered system needs that, right? Um, so I think there's a, it makes a ton of sense what you're talking about and what you're describing as far as the value to it. That is exactly it. Yeah, I love that the you don't want the single point of failure. That's, no. Yeah. That's that's the key because people do everyone's human and they they do break down and um you know I think also we're just we're moving into um the type of model with life where work life balance is really important and taking care of your well-being is important and uh you know you can set you can absolutely set up a support system that runs efficiently where people can also have balance. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that I work for, you know, a, a CEO that values family and yep. the work-life balance. And, yep. and, and also we can also provide her with, you know, great support system. Yeah. Thank God for that. Right. People yeah. just, <laughs> just recognizing the humanity, you know, and that we all need that. It's just this we can't be these gluttons for punishment in our roles, and there needs to be harmony. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, you mentioned as we started this conversation that there's, you know, no right or wrong way to creating this structure, um, much like raising children. Well, there's many right ways to raise children, was what you said. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that 
curious to understand um, kind of the factors that you took into consideration in arriving at the model that you came up with as as you made those recommendations to Anne. Yeah, I think the first step was to really look at what are the most, you know, what were the most critical needs? And, you know, was it the need for the follow up for meetings? And what are the gaps? And how can we approach the email management? Um, And, you know, I had to look at the number of direct reports she had, and, you know, the size of the company. And, you know, again, that complexity of the business. And so to kind of taking a step back and analyzing all of that. Um, and then, and, you know, kind of ex- thinking through and exploring what, what are the different roles and options here? And, you know, I think in terms of the team structure, I, I will say at first, our first model wasn't successful. So, and that's okay. You know, it's, you've got to be okay with some trial and error and failure, but, um, we, we had first hired a kind of the more junior administrative assistant because we thought, um, you know, I could be the director of of kind of the schedule and keeping track of that. And what we found was we needed we needed someone that could actually make more judgment calls independently on the calendar. Mm. And so we, you know, we ended up structuring the team where we we just had, uh, you know, two additional people and with really clear focuses. And so for us, the calendar is a full time job. And that was very apparent to us. And so we have one person where calendar is you own everything that touches it. And then we had that other person that I mentioned with the, you know, the events and the swag and company culture and um, kind of an overflow support person that could kind of, you know, dip in and dip out if needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, That worked really well for us. And then we added the, you know, the additional kind of research analyst person. So you know, for us, it was looking at what are all the needs and then how can we plug into that? And then also just making sure everyone had clear lanes and and that we also then just work together as a team. That's super critical uh, because there can really be, you know, no egos and everyone has to kind of be that 100% team player, proactive, can-do attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that you also said that your first model didn't work out. Um, I mean, I I think that that's honest. And it's funny, on the way here, I was um, also listening to a podcast um, uh, called Masters of Scale. um, And the guest on that program was um, uh, General Stanley McChrystal. And he said basically the exact same thing that, you know, it's about it's about starting and strategy is as much about failing and learning and regrouping and assessing and that, you know, oftentimes we learn more from our failures than our immediate wins. So I think that that's really um, a great takeaway and also hopefully an encouraging takeaway in that sometimes, you know, there's trying new things. um, The fear of trying new things can be somewhat of a a bottleneck or, or can be stifling because you don't want to fail. But that's exactly the point. <laughs> it's it right, is a trial right. and error, and it, and you're so much better. It sounds like you've arrived at this really good place because you were also able to determine what didn't work. Right, exactly. And you've got to be careful not to, you know, kind of course correct too much and say sometimes it might just not. You might have failed because of a variety of reasons. So you don't want to do a you know knee jerk reaction and course correct too quickly. You've kind of really got to. You've got to spend some time up front thinking about, 
you know, why, why is this not working and, and what is, what is the right model? Um, and in fact, when, when we failed the first time, uh, I was still just looking for one person and Anne was the one that said, I think we need two. And it kind of took me a minute to agree, you know, mm-hmm. really two. And it worked out so well and she was absolutely right. And so, uh, you kind of just have to, to try. It's like, you know, sometimes throwing spaghetti at the wall, but, um, but you know, you've got to be okay with failure. Absolutely. So after you arrived at the model um, that you envisioned for this office of the CEO, um, can you give us some examples of the types of processes and, you know, organizing systems that you've implemented um, to support that infrastructure and maybe why you implemented those and, and how you went about implementing those? Sure, absolutely. So at the most fundamental level, I think it's important, right, that everyone has those kind of clear roles and responsibilities. It's We actually came up with a roles and responsibilities chart. And, you know, we have who the primary person is responsible for it and, you know, the secondary person if that person's out of the office and then the third. And so it was, it's really clear who does what. Um, and then that person, you know, is empowered to own it. And so um, that at the highest level is, I think, think a great way to, to set up the team structure. And then as you're going about kind of the, those day-to-day operations and how you're going to run smoothly, um, I always tell my team that if something feels too hard, like let's just stop and, and think about it a different way. Um, because, you know, it, and something might work for a while and then all of a sudden it, it just, you know, isn't working. So let's just stop and redo it. We don't have to get into this cycle of, of doing something because this is the way we've always done it. And so we have to kind of be open-minded about, um, you know, adjusting. And so when we look at kind of what we're responsible for with those, the day-to-day operations, you know, for us, it's so much about that information flow and keeping information flowing and whether it's, you know, the email management or all the approvals and all the document reviews that come in. And so for us, we set up a system, um, where we have one daily update that we send to our CEO and it's a, you know, there's other programs you can do, but for us, we just found a shared doc, you know, works best and we have it sectioned out. So um, we have top of mind and that's at the top. And these are the three to five things that we think Anne should focus on in the next 24 hours. And then that, you know, top of mind actually ends up getting recycled in the morning to your to-do list. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, below, below the top of mind, we have a section for, you know, questions and updates, and then we'll do reminders and then kind of those longer term to-dos. And so throughout the day, as we're getting information, we're plugging it into this daily update. And then our team uh, syncs really briefly at the end of the day, we kind of clean it up and we send it over to Anne and email. And so our thought process behind this is if, if she's going to look at one thing today, it should really be this, this daily update. And then, you know, she looks at it, it works well for her in email. So she just replies. And then the next day it becomes our to-do list because now we have all of our questions answered and we just keep the information flowing. Yep. And, and that just, you know, it's kind of key to our success. And so um, we've modified it so many times and changed sections and, uh, you know, refreshed it and whatnot. And so, so that's definitely, you know, key functionality there. 
Um, you know, and then there's smaller things we do with the, you know, executive team management and looking at those meetings um, and just kind of pulling back and setting up a process for how are we setting up the agenda every week? How are we setting up the deck? You know, how are we implementing, you know, the weekly update that goes out to the executive team? Um, so we kind of have, you know, nice templates, templatized systems that we have on the back end that make it really simple. Um, one of my favorite processes that we set up since I started was uh, around the executive comms uh, function for media interviews and speaking requests because, you know, Anne does get so many requests every day uh, and all week long. And when I first started, it was an example of where I looked at like, this just feels really hard. Why is all the information all over the place? And Mm. and an email would come in and it, it wasn't clear who was responding and, you know, and, and it just felt hard. And yep. so we implemented a system that I love and I've shared it with so many other EAs. And I, you know, I find satisfaction when other EAs say, oh, we implemented that over at, you know, mm-hmm. XYZ company. And, and it's like my, definitely my happy place. But they, um, what we do is a request comes in, you know, we flip it over to a distribution list that has all the right people on it. And our, you know, comms team will, will respond to it and gather more information. And sometimes that can be sending out a form that people fill out, or sometimes it requires more high touch, you know, direct email to someone. And because what I found was that back when there was no system, what we would do was kind of go over requests with Anne, or sometimes she would just say yes to a request to one off. And she, but she always had the same questions and it was, Mm. you know, like, Oh, who did this come from? Oh, what type of talk is it? Is, right. you know, do my preparing deck? Am I, yep. you know, yep. is it a fireside chat? Um, what's the audience? And, uh, oh, it's in New York. No, thanks. You know, it's because right. then I have to travel. And so yep. all the same questions kept coming up. And so we did a standardized um, template with, you know, everything that she always would ask. So it's like requester, what's the opportunity? What's the date? Mm-hmm. And then we check that date before she sees it because mm-hmm. sometimes she would say yes. And then There's when we actually would go put it on the calendar, yep. she had a conflict. And yep. so we're calling out potential conflicts. Yep. You know, we're calling out the location. What's the topic? What's the format? You know, so we also kind of do a little bit of background on the event. And then at the bottom, it's, you know, this is our recommendation. And so this system that we now call our snapshots and we in test through it's we send it to her in advance to kind of glance at and then we quickly she just goes yes no yes no and something that used to be so painful she can now um you know make a decision yeah and it's an informed decision within a minute for of each opportunity and then yep. she's actually committing to it and excited about it and understands it and uh it has just worked so well. And so I, I love that process the most, yeah. um, even though it is almost like a full-time job for someone yeah. To, yeah. To, to manage to, it to all. wade through all of that. Yeah. But that thanks for saving everybody a lot of headache. You know, it's actually, it's, it feels so obvious and I'm sure everyone has their own system that they do, but um, it's predictable and, you know, it, it helps make informed decisions and it, but kind of to your point of, my, people, the number one question internally that I get asked, or I'll get invited to a meeting, and you know, then everyone looks to me and says, 
so what's Anne going to say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we're going to have to ask Anne. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not Anne. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, this is the information you need to prepare to yes. get an informed decision. Exactly. Um, and that's so much of, of what you do to empower people to tee, to tee situations up effectively so that, you know, they can get her ear or get her attention in the, in the most effective way possible. And I think so much of what an, a good support structure does is, you know, teeing up information, massaging, massaging information and putting it in the right package so that the executive can take decisive action. And you have to make it easy because you, if you put yourself in an executive's headspace or their day and they're so busy and I, I'll even say, don't attach something to it. I mean, you, I guess you can attach into an email, but even if you send it, we use, you know, Google Docs and things. So mm-hmm. if you attach a link, think about that in the emails. She has to now open up the email and she's an email. Then she's probably on her phone. She has to click the link. Now that takes her out of her email. And now she's over in the Google Drive app. And now she's lost out of her email. And then something she's going to get a text or another email and then jump out of that. So you kind of lose a person, mm-hmm. I find. Mm-hmm. And so it's just what's the most simple way to present the information. And we've modified it. Like I've said, you know, Slack has become more prevalent. So we actually now send our kind of morning to-do list in Slack and communicate on Slack and you evolve. But there are so many different applications out there. It's hard for me to keep track of them all. And mm-hmm. so if you're constantly opening different apps throughout the day or it just, I just like to keep it simple. Yeah, it's a lot to juggle. I get it. So for our listeners who have never built out an office of the CEO structure, um, what advice would you have for them as far as getting started? And what sorts of things should they be thinking about? What sorts of questions should they be asking of themselves or of the executive leadership team or just others in general? Sure. So I think, you know, I actually read a great article recently. Um, it was a case for a chief of staff mm-hmm. and it was in the Harvard Business Review. So mm-hmm. I would direct everyone to to that article because it really broke down, you know, kind of the three different types of chief of staff. And I thought it was really helpful and insightful. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I definitely would take a look at that. But I think the most critical evaluation point for for building out the office of the CEO is just defining what areas, you know, a team can add value and then, you know, working on that proposal and you want to outline the roles and responsibilities and, uh, and define that. And you also want to think about the job descriptions, you know, before you, you start clearly before you start recruiting, um, and, and what, what the different roles will look like. Uh, I think that, you know, the hardest part is definitely going to be, you know, assuming you're a rock star e- EA and you have built great trust with your executive, the hardest part is for the exec to not go to you for everything. Mm-hmm. And so having those clear lanes and then kind of training the exec to know who does what is is really important. Uh, I think too, you know, if you look at different models, I recommend having the team members report into you. Um you could, you know, you could have everyone report up to the exec. I just think it's easier to to kind of manage the flow better. Um, it's less work for the exec, and and I think it's also a management opportunity for the EA, mm-hmm. which is which is exciting. Um, and then I think once you outline the areas of need, it becomes really clear what you need to resource. 
and then I think also to really think about the characteristics you need in a teammate, um, because I think finding the right talent can sometimes be the hardest part. Well, we certainly agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) So partnering with a great recruiting firm is is key. Thank you for that, Kristen. (laughs) Brought to you by (laughs) our sponsors. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, but it is. It's thoughtful planning, you know, and thoughtful planning leads to thoughtful execution. You really, you need both. Yeah, absolutely. It's an exciting time, though, for an EA, especially someone who's, you know, shown so much value and, you know, is capable of doing more, uh, you know, really identifying what those needs are. And, you know, at 23andMe, we don't, we didn't have a need for board management, even though my background Mm. is a lot of board management, but sometimes that's a great need that, you know, if it's on the CEO's team versus the CFO's team, you know, that needs to be filled. So just really evaluating what are these needs and I think sometimes for an executive, it's really easy to see the the tactical functions that an EA serves of the cal. You know, you can say, "I'm going to take your calendar and your expense reports," and to them, that translates to a load, you know, off of their shoulders. And so it's just clear, you know, what that um, that services you're providing. Yep. But when you're kind of this glue, that's that's harder to translate. And mm-hmm. so sometimes they need to see it in action. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I really like, you know, what you said about just that there's the variety in in the model. And it is, it's really so company specific. It's so need specific. But, um, you know, really thinking about, first and foremost, what the challenges are and how they're presenting. And um, every company is going to solve those differently. Every company has different needs around all of that. So just kind of starting with that as the baseline um, makes so much sense. So as we're wrapping up here, um, there's a final question that we like to ask our guests, which is, if you could support anyone throughout the course of history, who would you choose and why? Oh, wow. Well, (laughs) I consider myself incredibly lucky because uh, I do think I support an amazing CEO. So, um, you know, I'm lucky that and I think I would try to look for that in someone else I'd want to support. So I would look for definitely uh, intelligence. I think my current CEO is funny, you know, and a pioneer in her field um, and fun and and all those great traits uh, that she is. But if I was going to support someone else, um, I think I would go with Martin Luther King Jr. Because mm. I think I just, you know, someone who's working for, you know, change. Yeah. Uh, and, I just and got chills. So. I, I literally got <laughs> chills. Yeah. And it's surprising that we haven't had that ever, ever mentioned. Well, this has been a fun conversation and a really useful one. Um, I hope so. Thank you so much for for having me. And, uh, you know, I hope that it inspires other EAs to kind of assess, assess what the needs are. Yeah. You know, with, for their seat for their CEO or executive and and look at, you know, think through different models of, of support that they can set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you really distilled what the questions are to be asking and what the thought process is. And, um, you know, also just, you know, the the encouragement to try things and see what works and 
um, you know, not be afraid to 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 risk things and and make the effort. So, yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Kristen. I really I really appreciate the conversation. Well, thank you for having me. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. You can learn more about Maven at www.mavenrec.com. Thank you.